Hi, I'm Amber. And hi, I'm Brenda, and this is the Minority Millennial Money Podcast. everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Minority Millennial Money. Um, Today we're going to be talking about how me and Brenda pay for our college education. So Brenda, why don't you start by telling everyone, um, I know you said in a a previous episode that you graduated college with little debt. So how did you do it? So when I went to undergrad, I knew that I would have to figure out a way to pay for it myself. Um, And I had some options as far as some schools I could go to. And I remember I had gotten a full ride to a school in Florida, but it was too far and I didn't want to go to Florida. And I then got about a 75% coverage scholarship to UT Austin, which is where I ended up getting my, ended up getting my bachelor's degree in nursing. And I couldn't tell you the details exactly of the scholarships that I got. I'd probably have to go back into my FAFSA and look at it. But I do remember that throughout the four years, I probably only had to take about $10,000 in student loans. And most of them were subsidized, meaning that the interest did not add up while I was still in school. And I had six months after graduation to um, pay them and interest still did not add up. So I do remember that specifically because even back then I knew what interest was and I didn't want interest to be adding up. So I only took subsidized loans. And then when I got out of college, I took on my first job. And then once I felt comfortable, I took on a second job at a clinic. So I was working at a hospital as my primary job. And then I had a a second job at a clinic and I threw all the money that I earned at that clinic at that loan, because I just didn't want the interest of $10,000 to add up over time. And I felt like $10,000 is a pretty manageable amount. Mm -hmm. So I paid that off in about six months. Mm -hmm. And then for my master's, I continued to work full-time in a hospital and they had a tuition reimbursement program, which I used. And The caveat was that I would have to work for them for two years after graduation, or at least you have to work for two years after each semester that they pay for you, right? So at the end, I would owe them two years for that last payment they made. And it was always reimbursement. So I always had to add the money up front, pay it first. And then at the end of the semester, they would pay me back. Um, but that company ended up not having a job for me to be able to stay for two years. And I had to leave and take a job somewhere else. So eventually they sent me a bill and I was able to make arrangements with them to pay that off slowly over three years, um, without any interest. So it was kind of a sweet deal because I never had to pay interest and it kind of became, uh, that I ended up paying for half of my school myself. Like, let's say my master's program was about $20,000 and they paid it all. And then after I graduated, I had to pay back 10 only because I left that company. But honestly, I think it was their fault because they didn't have a job for me. Right, <laughs> so, right. So, so I thought my- it was kind of silly for them to lend me money that they knew I wouldn't be able to quote unquote pay back by staying. Right. That's odd. 
So going back to what you said about college, um, when you said you paid off the $10,000 in six months, during that time, did you live with your parents or how were you able to throw every, all your money into that loan? I, up until I was 27, I always lived with friends and shared, um, shared a place. I had a, like just rented a room from a friend that, um, had extra rooms in her house and she was house hacking and my rent was like $500. So I had very low living expenses and I was able to throw money at it. And I, and I'm not going to say that I didn't go out and then I lived like very frugally because I don't remember doing that, but I do remember that I just didn't take on a lot of new debts, like except for a car that I had, I don't remember having a lot of other payments. So I could easily throw like a thousand dollars at it, um, every two weeks, if not, you know, one to $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So at this time you're working as a nurse though, right? Correct. I'm working as a registered nurse, right? And I did that all through my graduate program as well. So I think that's really a testament to how lucrative the nursing profession is because most people who get a bachelor's degree aren't able to make much money right out of college with no experience. That's true. Yeah. I mean, my first job was actually in Southern California and that job started me at about $35 an hour, mm-hmm. which was a lot of money for a 21 year old. <laughs> right. Um, so but the cost of living was significantly higher in California. Once I got back to Texas, it was lower, but it was still enough that I was able to aggressively pay off the debt. But I, I think I was, I was very focused on it, right? Because I knew that this would, easily snowball into a lot more if I didn't aggressively get it down and get it out of my life. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, so I had about you. Yeah. I had a different path a little bit. So, um, I actually wrote a book about this, how to pay for college, um, money moves, but, um, so I ended up, um, I was a journalism major for college So, and I went to art school. So it was a very expensive private school. Um, So what I did in high school is I knew, you know, I would be on the hook for covering all of my costs, not only my tuition, but like my room and board and then all the money that I would need to like live in college. So the first thing I did was I applied to 100 scholarships while I was in college. So, yeah. So like I literally was applying like my whole senior year, which I was only in, um, senior year I was only in high school for three years but um my last year there pretty much the last semester um well the last year really I was just applying for scholarships pretty much all day like I was just filling out application after application after application and so I ended up getting I don't know 10 to 15 scholarships or something like that um I don't like remember exactly from where I I know Walmart gave me money BP gas station gave me money um a bunch of different places. Um, So all those were applied to my tuition as well as, you know, I was a low income student. So I got the FAFSA um, and that still actually didn't cover everything. So I, there's a bunch of other things you can do. Like I didn't buy a lot of my books my first year. I didn't get a meal plan. Yeah, it was nuts. So basically what I did was um, I worked full time in college um, I used to what go, did you to do? 
So a bunch of things. When I first started, I worked at the bookstore. So the books that I did buy, I got a discount. <laughs> and then I would just like borrow people's books whenever I could. Like if I was like, hey, mm-hmm. like I need to do the reading. Like I don't have the book. <laughs> so I would just do stuff like that or like rent it at the library, um, stuff like that. And then after the my bookstore job ended, I started working full-time at Starbucks. So I used to go to class from nine to two and then do a three to 11 shift at Starbucks and then go back to home and do my homework. So Uh it was just intense. Um, But I talk in my book a lot about like what you can do, like uh, negotiating tuition. And um, I was an RA. So my second and third year of college, so I was only in college for three years, I was a resident assistant, which means that basically I I worked at the dorms. Um, And so I got free room and board. Okay. So that took off a lot of money from my, I didn't have to pay like living basically. Um, So it ended up working out where I was able to pay cash for pretty much like whatever was left over after my scholarships. And I kept applying for scholarships every year. So I didn't stop applying for scholarships after I got to college. Like I kept applying every single year over and over and over again. And I kept working um, and paying as much as I could. So I ended up graduating with no debt whatsoever. Um, wow. Yeah. But it was really difficult. It was really difficult. And I knew that like, I wasn't, journalism is not really lucrative like that. Um, like at the time when I graduated college, the starting salary for what I wanted to do was like TV broadcast was like $15,000 a year. How is that even possible? Right. I expect anyone to live on that. Right. So I knew that I was going into a career that wasn't going to produce much, if anything. So I knew that I kind of had to be like very proactive. Um, But again, like I chose to go to a private school. I chose to go to a specialty school, like an art school. All that was very expensive. And it would have been a lot different had I just, you know, went to the public school, um, you know, up the road. So. Do you think that going to that private school helped you get into law school? So, no, but I will say that at the time I was doing broadcast journalism, which is sort of a specialty field. And a lot of the things I learned in my art school are things that I don't feel like a traditional college student would learn. Like I learned Mm -hmm. a lot of like high tech, like video editing, um, you know, shooting video. Like I was they had equipment. So I was using cameras, like real video cameras. Um, I learned a lot of really, I don't know, kind of, you can describe it as like a trade school, but I was taught by journalists in the field. I had an internship at CBS2 Chicago, um, working with investigative reporters. So I feel like what I learned was valuable. Now, Mm -hmm. if I had a hundred thousand dollars of debt, no, I wouldn't have felt like it was valuable, but. Right. Because you were able to make it through without any debt, although it was very difficult, you're thankful for the skills you got. Yes. And one thing too, like, uh, I just talked about how I wasn't on a meal plan. So my first year of college, um, since I was 17, I was not eligible to get food stamps, um, which is like the government subsidy program for people who, you know, are, Uh, low income or don't have enough money for food. But once I turned 18, I was eligible for welfare. So I was, I went to get food stamps. Um, And so I was on food stamps throughout college and my first semester of law school. And a lot of people don't realize that like, if you, 
I know in Illinois, if you work a job, at least I think 20 hours a week, um, you're mm-hmm. eligible for food stamps if you make below the poverty line. Wow. Wow. So that's, that's really important because you're able to get medical care. You're able to get food stamps. So, you know, that's something that people should know. That's something to do if you are in that situation. Totally. I think I saw a tweet trending about that because um, somebody said, you know, college students and graduate students, especially are really struggling right now. There are no jobs really for them to do like on a part-time basis. And you know, a lot of grad students live on a very small stipend, kind of like I have right now, but I have supplemental income. So um, it's, I'm not struggling for food, you know, but I think that, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It makes me a little bit angry that like anyone in the United States would need government assistance for food when they're trying to get an education. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, because I was literally in the position where I could not afford the meal plan. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's real, like a real issue. I mean, my first year, um, I was working so many hours because, I, like I said, I was seventeen, so I could not get food stamps because I was not, I wasn't eighteen. So you're a child. I yeah. mean, think about. I just think about my seventeen-year-old self. You know, I'm thirty-one. Um, and I really thought I was grown up. You know, we both thought we were grown up at that time, but you're really so sensitive and such a child. And you managed to figure out how to literally put food on your table. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think that's awesome. And then you decided to go to law school because the journalism was not really, you know, paying your bills. Yeah. So after I graduated, I think the weight of what $15,000 a year meant hit me a little bit harder because at this point I'm 19. Um, I've lived through college, which was a real struggle. Um, You know, I've been struggling for all this stuff. Um, I didn't have a job, even though I applied to so many jobs while I was in college to try to get into the journalism field. It was really difficult. Um, One, because I was doing TV at the time. I was doing TV news. And so I was interviewing with a lot of news agencies in these really small rural towns. And the reality Mm -hmm. of the situation is they're not going to hire someone Black or they're not going to hire somebody with darker skin tone in these rural white news areas. That's just not how the news business works. Mm -hmm. And so if they've already got one Black person or one Asian or Hispanic person, they don't want another one. And that's just the reality of the news business. And so it was really hard to break into Mm. the market. And I could have kept looking and I could have, uh, you know, continued without a job. But at that point, I'm like, I've been like, I have nothing like Like I've done this throughout college. Like at this point, I need to find a career where I'm going to be able to make enough money to survive. That was pretty Mm. much what I came to the conclusion of. You know, I had to move back in with my parents and then our house burned down. So we were homeless. It was just a lot going on. And so I was just like, listen, I'm going to have to go to law school. Uh, that was pretty much it. Like I woke up one day and I was like, I can't, like, I got to go to law school. <laughs> like, hmm. no. And, you know, I think this is a unique minority student experience to not necessarily look back on your years in college. And I was fortunate in that my parents were able to help me with my living expenses. I never got to live in the dorms. I always stayed like an off campus, like cheaper housing. 
and my parents were able to pay for that because uh, my dad has a small business and it was doing really well at the time. Um, so I was fortunate in that I took care of my tuition and my parents helped me for my living expenses. And if I worked, which I did, I always worked during college, like part-time, maybe 10 to 15 hours a week, um, not full-time, but, but this experience of, of looking back on your undergraduate years and thinking that was a huge struggle. Like, I really feel for us, you know, I really feel that a lot of, um, maybe, um, people who come from affluence or maybe who's, who had uh, college funds prepared for them, they didn't have that experience and they got to go to college as like a really enriching and like fun and social experience. Whereas you on the one extreme were working 40 plus hours a week and on food stamps. I, I had a pretty moderate experience in terms of you know, I got to enjoy some of college. I got to study abroad and because I had such big scholarships. Um, but I think that that's overlooked, you know, that a lot of minority and first-generation American students like me, college is actually a huge struggle. Yeah. And that's sad, right? I've never thought about it. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you're right. I mean, like, when I look back, it was probably one of the hardest times in my life for sure. Just because when you don't know if you can afford food or when you're looking at your link card, like, Ooh, I only got $50 left. I got, you know, a week and a half. What am I going to make out of this? What am I, what can I go to the store and what can I get? That is mm. tough. Um, I will say like, I feel like I made the most out of the situation. Like I did study abroad. Oh, good. All in college. Um, and so like, it wasn't like, for someone else who maybe grew up in a more affluent uh, home situation prior to college, it would have been hell, right? But like for me, growing up already in a poverty situation, it was just life. So I, I was tired. I was exhausted. I was uh, aware that, you know, other people had it better because, you know, my college roommates, you know, they had, you know, their parents were giving them money and they weren't working. So I was aware of it, but I wasn't, I didn't fully take it in. Like now looking back, should a 17 year old have been coming home at midnight from Starbucks, getting on the train in Chicago? Absolutely not. I mean, that's horrifying. <laughs> and uh, I would, I would absolutely, my child would absolutely never do that ever. Um, <laughs> but like when I was there, right. I was just like, this is the hustle. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, I'm making it work. Absolutely. I was on the train with everybody else, all the other workers. So I want to know at what point did you decide that you weren't going to take on debt because you came out with no debt at all. So like, did you just not get loans offered to you or were you just like anti-debt? Like who told you not to take debt on? Yeah, I think uh, my parents basically, or like just the people in the community, a lot of people were like, well, I don't want to go to college because I don't want debt. And I just heard people like talking about debt. Like, you know, when a lot of people mm. are in poverty, they have a lot of debt for whatever reason. And I heard people talk about, oh, debt. And so to me, I was like, I can't get in debt. Like that was just like the answer. I don't think I really understood. Like I could take out a, a couple thousand and maybe pay it off. Like, I didn't understand that. I was just like, no, like, I, I can't take debt. Like, I'm already poor. Like, I can't. How do I owe something when I have nothing? <laughs> right. So that brings us back to this idea that, that 
poverty is actually really expensive, right? Oh, yeah. Borrowing money is extremely expensive when you're poor and you get in a cycle of always owing other people money. So you were fortunate in that you had that idea and you just did whatever it took to not take on debt. But right. then you went into law school. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, law school, I think is a different animal. Um, it's certainly more lucrative than like a, a journalism career from an art school. Um, so I did apply for scholarships when I went to law school. Um, I did get a significant tuition scholarship from the law school that I went to, um, which was crazy. I remember I was working at Sears at the mall at the time. And I got this email and uh, at the time tuition was $35,000 and I got this email on my phone and I was like, oh, I, you know, was looking and it was like, oh, you got accepted to, you know, the University of Illinois, which at the time was like the, one of the top 25 law schools in the country. And I was like, what? And I was scrolling through the email. I'll never forget. I was literally about to ring someone up and it was like, we're going to give you $25,000. And I was like, What? It was just like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, this must be a mistake. And it's so funny because now looking back, I wish I would have called the school and negotiated more, you know, my tuition and tried to get more money out of, out of them. But I remember thinking like, this is a mistake. Like I, I can't tell anyone this because they made a mistake. <laughs> so I it was, it was 35,000 a year and you got 25 for the first year or 25 per year. year per year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So my law school tuition was only going to be $10,000 a year. And so at that, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So then I applied for scholarships. Um, and I ended up getting like $7,000 in scholarships every year in addition. Okay. So I basically had all of my tuition paid. Like I think of my tuition was like $3,000 a year mm -hmm. at that point. However, because I was in law school and because I had went to art school, for undergrad and because I knew I was in I had terrible K through 12 education absolutely horrible um you know I knew that I was not at the level that the other students were at so I knew I had to study harder so I could not work during law school I made the decision I did not want to work during law school so that yeah. I had to take out cost of living loans which were like eight to ten thousand additional per year no that's not bad right so I ended up um having to take out you know, more money. Um, so that was, that was that situation. I it might've been a little bit more than that. Cause I ended up graduating with like, um, I think like 60 or $70,000, uh, in loans, but which if you had not had those scholarships, it, it would have added another hundred thousand. Oh yeah. Absolutely. For tuition at yes. least law school okay. is $150,000 for the whole program. Like including the cost of living, like the living expenses. Ooh. Yes, one hundred and fifty thousand. Um, and then after that, what people don't realize is when you take the bar, you have to fund yourself during that. It's not part of law school, so you have to buy the course. You have to take another course to study for the bar. The course is five thousand dollars. You have to actually pay to take the bar. You have to even sit for it. It's usually like one to two thousand dollars just to sign up for the exam. And then on top of that, you're not working for those three to four months while you're studying. So you got to pay for your rent, your food, all of that, and your books for the program. So 
you're talking about another 10 to 15,000. So actually I had to take out another loan after law school. I had to take out a $16,000 loan to cover me for that period so that I could take the bar. So I'd have the money. This just goes to show you that these careers are from the very beginning, from the time you go to school, created for people who oh. come from affluence, oh. right? Like, and this, this came up too on med Twitter. People were talking about the exams that they have to take throughout medical school and throughout residency and how cost prohibitive they are. And I mean, imagine you've gone through four years of medical school, you've got whatever debt that has added up, and then your exams are like two grand, you know? And it's just like, where does that money go? And like, why do people that are going to be physicians who are going to help society, like, why do they have to dig themselves into a hole of debt? Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? So there's been some reform efforts in that. And I think one of the tests has been taken out completely due to COVID, but um, it just goes to show you that if you come from affluence, it's much easier to be affluent. And I, I've dated someone like this who actually finished law school who, whose entire undergraduate and graduate law school career was paid for by his parents, wow. including his living expenses. And so when he took the bar and passed it, he got to start his law career with zero debt. Wow. You know, and I just thought like, I mean, it was really like, I felt like I was dating a unicorn because I was, <laughs> because no one I had ever really like, known had been able to do that and whose parents and and I don't blame them you know like if I have a child and I'm able to pay for them to go to law school on my dime like absolutely I would let them you know I would pay for them but right. um but I just thought that was so unique and 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 I don't think that he was alone I think that a lot of the people that oh, yeah. that went with that went to law school with him because the, the one near me is is, is very highly ranked that they come from affluence and that maybe their parents are lawyers, you know? So, um, it's just, it's just a different experience for those of us who are minorities and we don't have that generational wealth. Right. So like now he gets to start his job, make 150,000 a year, build wealth for himself that then his children will enjoy. Well, I can say from going to law school, it's definitely the land of affluence. Um, really everyone I knew there, uh, even the minorities, the black people I went to law school with, most of them had money. Most of them were affluent to black people. There were, there was not many people like me, um, mm. there at the law school. Like people used to be like, I heard Amber Porter's from the hood, like <laughs> at the law school, like, oh my God, like she's here. Like, like what? Like people were walking around openly talking about spending money on their dad's credit card. Um, it was the first time in my life I'd ever been around people like that, uh, whose families were, uh, extremely affluent. And I, I felt very much alone throughout the law school process, mm. um, because of that. But absolutely most people who are lawyers, their parents, parents, parents were lawyers. And the unfortunate part about the legal profession is a lot of people who are like me or who come from poor backgrounds, a lot of them end up going into a lot of the public service sector where they're helping mm. out at like legal aid offices. They're helping poor people, you know, with evictions and stuff. And unfortunately that doesn't pay a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. your legal aid pays thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a year for lawyers. And you imagine making that money, $30,000, $40,000 a year after you've paid $155,000 in debt. 
for a lot of those people, law school is not going to be lucrative to them if they want to give back to their communities. I know that's terrible. It is. That is truly terrible. I know. Or in my field, um, I've never done this. I've always worked in private practice, but you know, if you take on a lot of loans and for your nurse practitioner degree, then you can work for a federally qualified health center, which serves underrepresented, underserved communities. It's people on Medicaid, people who don't have insurance. So you're seeing a very, um, a population that has a lot of needs, right? And, but if you do that for 10 years, then you can have your loans forgiven, I believe. Don't quote me exactly because I've never looked into it no, myself, true. but I've known people. Okay. It's the same program for lawyers. Okay. So as long as you work for like a public a program that is serving, yeah, the public, then, which I think is great. But like you said, those jobs, I mean, maybe yours does, but they, they pay comparable to what private practice would pay, but it's, it's still a bit limiting, right? Like, what if you hate the job? Right. Well, I mean, it's really a, a go-between because, you know, yeah, you can make 30, 40,000 for 10 years and then get your loans paid off. That's great. But you could work a job in the legal profession making 180000 $180,000 a year for 10 years. <laughs> and you're making more money on that probably than you are just getting your loans forgiven. Um, so... I mean, I think if you're not good with money and you don't think you'll be able to pay them off, even if you have a really large income, then, then maybe the loan forgiveness helps, you know, for people. But yeah, that's 10 years of not being able to build wealth. That's 10 years of not maxing out your 401k, of not investing. Yep. I mean, it's a long time. So the cycle kind of perpetuates itself, right? Like now you're still, you still somehow can't get ahead. Right. Right. Um, there are hacks to that, I suppose. I think I, I just want to talk a little bit about my current situation since we're talking about scholarships. So I got my master's in 2017 and that was the first time that I started making six figures. And I, I was actually very intentional about how I managed my increased income. And I was careful to not inflate my lifestyle and so I, I bought my first property and then a year and a half later, I bought a second property and um, I was always maxing out my retirement accounts and my Roth IRA. Um, and so that put me in a position where my expenses were low. I have a couple of rental properties that bring me in a little bit of money that I don't depend on to live. And I always knew that I wanted to, there, that there was something left to do in my career, right? That being a nurse practitioner with a master's degree and taking care of patients was good for me, but it wasn't like the end game, right? Like it wasn't where I wanted to stop. And so I was, I was toying with the idea of going back to school for years. And then eventually I was like, you know what, why don't I apply to PhD programs? Like that's kind of like the tapa tapa, <laughs> you know, for me. And so I was like, but I'll only go if I can get a scholarship because I knew that a lot of PhD pro programs are funded. So I ended up uh, getting accepted to a school that offered me a $150,000 scholarship and it's $50,000 per year that pays my tuition and then gives me a stipend per month. So even so I would be 
in a really tight spot to be living on the stipend alone. And as you know, like I, I keep contract work and as a nurse practitioner, I can demand a pretty good hourly rate for my work. Um, so I can supplement my income that way, but I will in three years be able to say, I have a bachelor's, a master's and a PhD, and I don't have any debt. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in light of everything we just said about how it's really difficult, it's also very possible. Mm. Um, and so I think that's what I would want to tell people is like, don't get down about like how, how hard it can be. I think it can happen, you know, any, I mean, had you told me five years ago that I would have quit my job to do a PhD and like live on a scholarship, I would have been like, that's crazy. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it just felt right. And I felt like the right time in my life to do it. And I felt like I worked so hard and invested well in my twenties that I can take this little three-year break, break, right? Like as if getting a PhD is a break, um, to pursue a dream, really a dream and not something that is necessarily going to get me a financial return, but that is going to satisfy me professionally and personally. And I think that is the goal of being able to manage your money. Like not to just say, oh, I don't have any debt, but to say, because I don't have debt, I have the freedom to do what I want to do. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, our careers are special in the sense that we're minority women in spaces that are not very occupied by minority people. And so we have our own struggles to navigate in that sense, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be the only one, you know, and that's why we're doing this to talk to people about, about taking these paths and not feeling like it's impossible because you, um, you do really well now and you did it all by the time you were like 24, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I graduated law school at 23, 24. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, most people don't. Um, and I think it would be good to talk to some people who are maybe considering a, an advanced degree. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people, especially millennials like us, have gone back to get advanced degrees, but not necessarily with any particular purpose in mind or, yes. or thinking about the return on the investment. For me, that's always been something that I... I consider like, what's the return on this investment personally right now? My, the return on my investment may not be financial, but yeah. I'll never regret having gotten a PhD personally and professionally, you know, so that'll be the return, but I'm at the point in my life where I can afford to not have a financial return. Right. I think most people, you're right. They get master's degrees in sort of random topics um, and I don't know that people think about sort of like what, what the end game is and what they plan to do with that. I think a lot of times people will go to school and they'll be choosing what, what they want to major in and they'll be thinking, well, I just want to find something that's interesting to me. And I don't think that's the right question. I think the right question mm -hmm. is what can I do that's lucrative that I can tolerate that <laughs> I can do that match my skills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can maximize your skills without doing something that you hate. And like, I think we've talked about this before, but we don't love our jobs every day. Right. You know, um, 
but I do love the security and the stability that my job gives me. And, you know, of course, if you hate something, you shouldn't do it. But I think that when you feel like you're being properly compensated and you're able to reach certain goals, then you'll do what you have to do. I mean, like very few people really, really love what they do and make a lot of money at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say from a, a legal perspective, like the $100,000 job is very similar in work to the $60,000 job because I've worked at both. So I can just say that um, a lot of people, you know, think, oh, oh, you know, you make all that money, you have all this responsibility. In the legal profession, lawyers are stressed out. Um, you know, it's always going to be difficult, grueling, time-consuming, exhausting work. So might as well make a little bit more, in my opinion. You might as well get paid. Yeah. Get paid. Basically. It's yeah. all the same. Yeah. So I think one of our goals for a future episode is to get a couple of other minority professionals on here to talk about their educational journey and if they think that their advanced degrees were worth it. Because mm-hmm. um, we, we think they were, right? Um, Definitely. And we've managed to be stewards of the money in such a way that now we feel at least a little bit of freedom, right? Like we, if, if you needed to leave your job tomorrow, you could easily live on your savings for a oh, while. Yeah, um, if I needed to stop the PhD, cause I just don't want to do it anymore. I could easily go get a job. Um, but I love the PhD, so I'm not going to stop. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I feel like I'm being challenged in a way that I've never been challenged before. And I have a really good community with my faculty and my classmates. And I see myself, I see the the aspects of me that I never got to develop because I was busy with a full-time job. Mm. I'm getting to develop those things now, you know, and my time is mine. I have a ton of flexibility with my time. I mean, I have lots to do, but nobody is expecting me somewhere at eight and keeping me in that building till five, Right. you know? So that's really awesome. Um, So maybe we can talk about that in the future about like flexibility and finding jobs that we like. And I think we should also recruit some people to to tell us about their experience. Yes, all are are welcome. Let us know, uh, message us on social media or via email. and let us know if you'd like to come on. Yep. Thanks, guys.